Welcome, friends. This is Historical AF. I'm Kina. And I'm Lindsay. We are two history podcasts here to deliver some morbid and random historical nursery rhyme nugs. You never need it in your ear holes. This is Nursery Rhymes Part 2. Hello. You're back. I am. I know. Thanks for having me back. Oh, anytime. (laughs) I love it when you're here. Tell everybody what your podcast is and remind them of who you are. Sure. So I'm Lindsay. I am one of the hosts of Yield Crime, which is a historical based true crime podcast where it's cases that take place pre 1900. So we've covered a little bit of everything from super weird and random stuff like animal trial cases to (laughs) lots of female poisoners they were really big in the 1800s, weren't they? It was like the most <laughs> common thing ever. Oh, they died from stomach problems. Okay. <laughs> wink, wink. Sure. Yet the mom's still around. I'm sure it's fine. What a coincidence. <laughs> right? We had our first feature-length guest on a couple of episodes ago. It was a fellow in England named Paul. Who does living history and he talked about duels, like old school duels with us. And that was really fun. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to listen. I'm so behind on podcasts, but now I have an hour and a half commute. So I can't wait to get caught up. So there you go. I miss commuting because that's when I would always listen to my podcast. And now that I'm working from home, it's like I write for a living. So I can't listen to people talking to me and then write at the same time because my brain doesn't work that way. Oh, same. I have to listen to film scores because it's the only thing that I can concentrate and hear. I can hum Jurassic Park, but I still can write. (laughs) Yep. Works out beautifully. Yeah. I need some sort of like no singing type of music Mm -hmm. to listen to, to like really focus. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. I love living history. It's actually one of my new, in case you guys don't follow me on social media, I finally have a job! Woo! I, it has been a long two years. So much rejection and so many uh, nervous breakdowns. But this is a dream job and I'm so excited because I've had this really cool opportunity to kind of wait until I got the dream job where I didn't have to take a job just to have a job. But mm-hmm. one of my main responsibilities is running the living history program i'm overseeing it for a world war ii museum and i've never seen a modern war reenactment before until this museum and it's really the living history people are incredible i just i absolutely love what they do and i'm Mm -hmm. just so yeah definitely excited to listen to that and then you know stalk him so i can pick his brain (laughs) (laughs) if you want me to connect him with you i totally will because he's super nice And his group does, they do a little bit of everything. They do, you know, like the Regency era stuff. He said they were doing some Cold War era type stuff. Oh, cool. Some World War II type stuff. And this new thing they started doing is they show how body snatching works. So they actually have a coffin where they like cut it. They did like a section of it with the the plexiglass and a mannequin. And they show you how people would like, they'd pull the bodies out of the coffins. Okay, so is he like a paid living? Does he get paid to do this? Because I don't know, but amazing. I hope he does. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's awesome. Like as soon as he talked about like the body snatching part, I was like, I wish I could go to England. 
Right? <laughs> like, that that sounds amazing. And if he so, doesn't have a YouTube yet showing this, he should do that because he'll make so much money. It'll just be me watching it on repeat, I'm sure. But <laughs> I just found a YouTube a channel with a living history in England and she does different characters, but she does Queen Elizabeth I, but then she's somehow her favorites are doing things like servants and talking oh. about the storytelling aspect of it. And I'm just like, can you imagine me in living history in England? The opportunities, it, everything is historic there. It's incredible. You would never run out of content like ever. Never. No, that's, oh, I'm just, I love it so much. I'm really excited too to, be able to connect to more historians and museums now that I have a reason to be like, Hey, yep. <laughs> I have a title now instead of just like, I'm just a random podcaster. <laughs> Please talk to me. <laughs> I'm lonely. <laughs> I mean, most of the time it works when I'm like, Hey, I have a podcast. Talk to me. But anyway, <laughs> back to your podcast. How long have you guys been podcasting now? It's been a year. It was a year in June. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, so it was just a little over a year. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. So it's been it's been a very interesting year because I feel like we've really kind of gotten our stride. You know, we we have people that I know come back every week to listen and, you know, we have certain people that will engage with us actively on social and stuff and comment on our things. So it's kind of cool to know that certain people are actually like listening to what we're saying and yeah. care about what we have to say. So that's really cool. You guys share really funny memes on uh, Instagram and stuff too. So if you guys don't follow them, you definitely should because they crack me up. <laughs> <laughs> I try to find the best ones and then I'm like, oh yeah, this one's going on. <laughs> it's gold. It's gold. No, I love it. What's been your, do you have a favorite topic you guys have covered? Or are they all like your babies uh, and you can't pick one? It's hard because, yeah, I do most of the research. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of what one has been one of my favorites so far. I really liked when we covered Ann Lister, who, oh. are you familiar with who she is? It sounds familiar. I thought I knew. And then as soon as I went, oh, I'm like, never mind. <laughs> She is one of the first openly gay lesbians in, I think it was Great Britain. And she came from a pretty well-to-do family. She ended up running her family's property and stuff because her uncle didn't want to run it and her aunt didn't want to run it. And she took a wife and all this stuff. And it was just really fascinating learning about her because she hid so she wrote diaries for like the entirety of her life from the age of 11, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So she's in this one museum, there's like 26 volumes of her diaries. Oh, wow. And the parts that address her um, more salacious, salacious acts are written in code. <gasps> Ooh. So she would keep track of all of her dalliances in this code. And a woman was able to crack the code. So she was able to decode all of these passages that went into the intimate relations she would have with other women and stuff and dive deeper into her relationship with her wife. So it was, it's a fascinating story. Like, I think oh, that's probably wow. one of the ones that is one of my favorites, just learning more about her and really how she was so unashamed to be who she was. Oh, so. that's so cool. Yeah, I hadn't heard of her. But I always try to think, imagine the feeling if 
when you're the one that gets to break these codes, I just would be beside myself. <laughs> like how yeah. exciting it would be to finally break it and then be like, I'm the first person to read this. That'd yeah. be incredible. Yeah. I think it was a mix of Greek and geometry or something like that. Like it was a oh. mix of math of math and like the Greek alphabet. Oh, and I would have never got it. Math is my enemy. <laughs> no, no. But yeah, it took this woman like a few years to like crack the code. But then as soon as she did, she transcribed the whole thing. That is so, amazing. Oh so, my yeah. gosh. Some people's brains are on another level. Yeah. I would just be like, well, I'm not reading that. So <laughs> <laughs> too bad. I'm sure it was good. Yeah. <laughs> really wish I could. Just not in the cards. I wish I was cool enough to have a secret code to you. I know. I'm not smart enough to have a secret code. (laughs) This seems like a lot of work. I can barely talk as it is. Like, let her come up with a whole different, like, sub-language. I also always have this great idea that I'm going to journal, and I always forget. Like, I'll do it for two days, and then I forget I had to have a journal. So, I'm a historian's nightmare in the future. (laughs) Just be like... Something big's about to happen, and then I forget to write down if it actually happens or not. And then, like six months later, you're like, "Oh yeah, I was journaling in this." Like, can you find a yeah, way? I know I have somewhere? literally sitting next to me, and I always forget. It's fine. I think that's pretty common with our generation. There's not a lot of handwritten. Although I think with COVID, some people took up journaling again. But you know, I think of being in history. We're always looking for journals and letters and handwritten notes and nobody yep. does that anymore. It's going to be really, really difficult to decipher, especially because our online language is so different because yep. it's hard to figure out what's sarcasm. What's real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like there's no real, you can't discern emotions. Yeah. Of what's shared on the online. If it's just written. Yeah. It, it'll be. And especially for me, I could be, like today, Ashley, I was messaging a Facebook message, a group message, Instagram, DM, <laughs> like Twitter, all at the same time. And they were all the same conversations. So nobody would ever be able to piece together how we all talk. Because I do that with my sister. I'll be texting her and then I'll be Facebook messaging her. And nothing would ever make sense. Because, Or maybe it's just my ADHD brain. I'm bouncing all over the place. But yeah, it'd be impossible to figure out what I'm talking about. <laughs> Not to say anybody would care in the future what I have to say about anything. Yeah, but no just one, in case. No one cares what I have to say about anything. But. Do you ever wonder in the future if somebody gets a hold of our podcast, <laughs> like if we're the source that they're using? <laughs> oh my God. I would die if I was ever listed as a source in someone's like research paper. I would be like, I need to read that research paper and apologize to you in person for whatever you took from my show because sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. That just made me that or what is that southern thing? That just tickled me to death to think about people taking us seriously in the future. <laughs> like, oh God. Like <sighs> the historical dick episode would be like the only thing that survives in the thousand years from now. Be like, what were they doing in 2020? <laughs> the only episode of ours that's going to survive is when we cover the great stink where we're just talking about shit the whole time. 
I'm not going to be like, what is wrong with these people? Seriously. And you know that's what would happen. <laughs> it would be like the weirdest shit is what's going to survive. It's not going to be the really thoughtful, like yeah. smart sounding. No. It's not going to be any of the ones where I sound like I know what I'm talking about. It's going to be the one with all the the, the poop jokes. That's yeah. all it's going to be. I know. Sometimes I think we do. And it was never the full intention to have so many dick jokes. It just happens because it's funny. But my husband's like, that's your legacy. Your dick jokes. I'm like, probably, honestly. There are just, worse things to have as your legacy. So Yeah. <laughs> They're always funny. I just can't. Like Rasputin. Member in a jar will always make me laugh. I just, there's no other way. Were you into nursery rhymes as a kid? Did you have like the Mother Goose books and all that stuff too? Yeah. So I was a pretty avid reader as a kid. I remember reading a bunch of nursery rhymes and fairy tales. It's horrifying and delightful at the same time. (laughs) That's a wonderful way of describing it. Those Germans, they... Those crazy they, Germans. They knew how to do it. I actually, I had uh, German for breakfast this morning and I was like, oh, they they know their fairy tales and they know their food. Yep. So good. Yep. I know I had the Mother Goose books, the giant ones in the nursery rhyme. Oh, yeah. And I remember when I was a little bit older, I got the fairy tales, which I think it's funny that I had nursery rhymes first because they were dark. <laughs> yeah. Like, especially... I, if you think of Ring Around the Rosie, that one is super dark. <laughs> We're going to get to it. Yes. <laughs> I love that one. I shouldn't, but I love that one. I know, right? Oh, well, Did you, you want to just uh, jump into it then? Sure. Episode one, I, I realized when I was researching that a lot of people that wrote nursery rhymes didn't take credit for them. So it's like they knew. They knew how <laughs> weird they were or how dark they were. They're like, yeah, I'm not going to put my name next to that. I don't need to be associated with this. That's fine. I'm going to pass. Let That's somebody fine. else take credit. It'll be fine. Yep. And then nobody did. <laughs> Most of the time people be like, oh, that's anonymous. I'm just going to take that. But nope, nope. They did not. <laughs> well, when you hear some of them, it's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to take that either. I wouldn't want to yeah. take credit for that. That's true. Some of them, they're just really crazy or just really, really crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's There's one that's it. like, it alludes to pro- like being a prostitute. And I was like, these are for kids. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. But of course, you don't see that context when you're a kid. But when you're that's older, you're, li- you're like... Who let me read this as a that, child? That spicy children's story. <laughs> so spicy. You go in into like the erotica section of the library. What's this nursery rhyme doing here? Just you wait. <laughs> Surprise. Oh, God. Oh, everything makes so much sense now. It does. I'm telling you, there has to be a correlation between all of us kids that read the weird shit and how weird we are now oh definitely how into the morbid like the true crime fanatics i guarantee all of us read the really weird shit as kids oh yeah like oh yeah 100 (laughs) percent. yes can attest i need somebody to do the study on that because there you go there has to be a correlation oh i'm sure i'm sure there is okay so i am covering the origin of the three blind mice (laughs) nursery rhyme i'm excited because i maybe once you start talking i'll be like oh yeah i knew that but i i don't know i don't think i know it's pretty dark 
(laughs) (laughs) I am shocked. Just going to throw that out there. (laughs) So I got information about this from a 2018, a bit about Britain blog post by Mike, a 2010 education.com article by Natalie Kidd, a 2005 History Today article by Richard Cavendish, allnurserymes.com, Alice Obscura, and Britain Express. So for those that don't know what the rhyme itself is, it's three blind mice, three blind mice, three blind mice, see how they run, see how they run. They all ran after the farmer's wife who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a sight in your life as three blind mice? Okay, I don't think I remembered the part about the tails getting hacked off. Yep. So it's wow. so it starts it starts dark. We're we're out a good start. <laughs> we're off to the races. <laughs> so the origin of this rhyme actually dates back to 1609. Oh wow, that's, when, that's yeah, it's old. It's, it's old. So when Thomas Ravenscroft published it in a music compilation entitled Deuteromelia. It's generally believed that the source material for this rhyme dates back to 1555 when Queen Bloody Mary I of England executed three Protestant clergymen for heresy by burning them at the stake. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So the men in question were the Bishop of Worcester, Hugh Latimer, the Bishop of London, Nicholas Ridley, and the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer. They are just three of the 280 people burnt at the stake for heresy between 1553 and 1558 during the reign of Queen Mary I. Yikes. Yeah. She liked to burn people. Yeah. Which is weird because with the Bloody Mary, I think it always comes to mind. Maybe she was just hacking heads like her dad, but no. No. Bloody in other ways. Yep. And all of the people that she executed were punished for not adhering to the queen's orders to practice Roman Catholicism. Yeah. God. So. Yeah. The whole Tudor thing is just very extreme, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm sure that a lot of what she did had to do with her mom being persecuted for being Catholic and how mm-hmm. they kind of cast her aside. But that seems like a real overcorrection. Yeah. You know? Like you're yeah. mad about that. Like be mad. Don't, burn everybody at the stake yeah don't just be like oh it's another burning day seems like it seems like a lot very extra yeah it's very extra so all three men were great men of reform especially in protestantism thomas cranmer in fact ushered in the age of reformation almost immediately upon his appointment as the archbishop of canterbury when he annulled the 24-year marriage of henry the eighth to catherine of aragon in order to validate his new marriage to anne boleyn Oh, speaking of which, I got my Anne Boleyn rubber ducky. Oh, I am distantly related to Anne Boleyn. <gasps> Lucky. I know. She's incredible. I know. I went to visit the Tower of London when I was 16, and I was able to get like a Christmas tree decoration of Anne Boleyn, which is which my, my mom still has to this day. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, this came from Heaver, her childhood home. You can order from there and they Ooh. ship it. So I was like, of course I need a rubber duck. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> Who wouldn't? 
It makes perfect sense. So Nicholas Ridley and his small part, Thomas Cranmer, was targeted in particular for his part in trying to secure Lady Jane Grey as the new monarch in place of Mary after preaching that she and her sister were illegitimate and unfit to rule. Oh, okay. Like Lady Jane was only queen for like, what, nine days? Yeah, it was a super short reign. Like it was. Yeah. Poor baby Jane. I know. So from as early as 1554, Nicholas and Thomas shared a cell in the Tower of London for treason with Cranmer and a preacher named John Bradford. In March of 1554, all three men were moved to the Bacardo jail in Oxford to await trial. I don't know what happened to the preacher that was with them, but I'm assuming he was executed because Mm. why else would he be there? (laughs) That is fair. That is fair. In January 1555, the three men were brought to the church of St. Mary the Virgin to be tried and encouraged to disavow their Protestant beliefs. They vehemently refused and were ultimately found guilty for not believing in transubstantiation. Oh, which is a big thing if Catholicism. Yeah, it's also a really weird thing to have to believe in. <laughs> exactly. So for those who don't practice Catholicism, transubstantiation is the change that occurs. So bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ, also known as the Eucharist, which is practiced during communion. So in Catholicism, the Eucharist is the real presence, the belief that Christ is actually there, and to deny that, such as in the case of Protestants, would be at that time considered heretical. Mm-hmm. So the men were held at the Bacardo jail at the North Gate, and Thomas Cranmer was forced to watch as Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer were burnt at the stake on October 16th, 1555. Oh. Both men had small bags of gunpowder tied around their necks in an act of humane mercy. Oh, of course before they were tied to opposite sides of the stake. Hugh succumbed to the smoke and died a painless death. Unfortunately for Nicholas, it took him much longer to die due to the fact that the packets of gunpowder failed to ignite. Oh no. Causing him to die in anguish as he cried out, I cannot burn. I cannot burn. (gasps) Oh, that's horrible. (laughs) By the time the gunpowder finally ignited, he was already dead. Nicholas Ridley was 55 and Hugh Latimer was 67. Oh, my God. That would be the most horrific way to die. Yeah. I can't even fathom. Like, that's just the whole. Just basically begging to die at that point. You just can't. That'd be horrible. Yeah. And burning is like really one of the most painful things you can experience Mm -hmm. that's just awful well and it's and it's not exactly a quick death it's a very slow and painful death god why why humans why i know why was that picked i mean not that like drawing and quartering was any better yeah (laughs) yeah yeah nothing like being disemboweled while you're alive yeah but God, just, they got they way too left creative. There. Yeah, Maybe they it's did. Like they had too much time in their hands. Maybe now that we have Netflix, you know, people aren't coming up with all these creative ways to torture people. But you know, <laughs> you never know. Something to entertain you, so you have something yep. else to channel your brain in. Exactly. God. So Thomas Cranmer 
horrified by the deaths of his fellow clergy, appealed to the queen and recanted his beliefs, swearing his acceptance of the Pope as the head of the church. The queen, proving her moniker of Bloody Mary, didn't believe he was sincere in the renouncement of his faith. So after losing his appeal, Thomas Cranmer was also burnt at the stake on the same spot on March 21st, 1556, at the age of 67. It said that as they lit the branches, he thrust his right hand into the flames, which he deemed unworthy as he had used it to sign the recantation of his faith. Oh, that's really sad. I know. God, because he's just so scared. He just didn't want to die. So he threw away everything he ever believed in and he still died. I know. It's so messed up. Oh, damn it, Mary. (laughs) Yeah. So even though she has often been remembered as a villainous and cruel monarch, Queen Mary shouldn't be viewed as the only one who has committed misdeeds in this tale. Prior to their deaths, Hugh Latimer, for example, played a major role in seeing Catholic John Forrest, who was a confessor to Queen Catherine of Aragon, burnt at the stake under the reign of King Henry VIII, and even went so far as to preach a sermon at his execution. Oh, my God. So just... Just burned him because he was the confessor? Was that the only reason? I think so, yeah. <gasps> oh, that's dirty. Yep. That's... Yeah. Oh, because she probably confessed things that they didn't want anybody to know. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. Yep. Oh, not a good time to be no. in religion. <laughs> no. Thomas Cranmer aided in the conviction of John Frith, who was a Protestant, staunch believer in religious tolerance and a driving force in the Reformation, even though Cranmer would go on to become a member of the Protestant faith himself. In addition to that, the city of Oxford actually charged the cost of the bundles of sticks used to burn him at the stake to his own expense account. Oh my God! (laughs) An expense that the city tried to reclaim under the new Archbishop of Canterbury. Oh, they doing them dirty. That is like you're probably already like super pissed you're about to die, but like, are you kidding me? Oh, by the way, you're gonna be paying for these sticks that we're gonna use to light you on fire. Cool, 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 cool. (laughs) God, that's like one last fuck you when you think that like literally nothing else could get worse. Yep. So bad. It's so dirty. So today, a cross on Oxford's Broad Street marks the spot where, over 500 years ago, these men lost their lives during a time of religious persecution. The spot was originally part of the town ditch and has been preserved after workmen found bits of the stake and shards of charred bone at the spot. Oh, no. I would not be want to be that person that found that. No. Mm-hmm. A memorial has been erected across the street at Balliol College that reads as follows, quote, opposite this point near the cross in the middle of Broad Street, Hugh Latimer, one time Bishop of Worcester, Nicholas Ridley, Bishop of London, and Thomas Cranmer, Archbishop of Canterbury, were burnt for their faith in 1555 and 1556, end quote. So going back to the rhyme itself, the farmer's wife is in reference to Queen Mary I. who, thanks to her husband, King Philip of Spain, owned large estates of land, 
thereby in an obscure sense making her a quote-unquote farmer's wife. Oh, okay. And further down the road, where Broad Street intersects with St. Giles, you can find the Martyr's Memorial, which commemorates the three men's deaths. Erected in 1838, the Victorian Gothic structure resembles a spire of a sunken cathedral, which is kind of cool. That is cool. The design was inspired by the Eleanor Crosses, erected by Edward I in memory of his late wife, Eleanor of Castile. And designed by Sir George Gilbert Scott, who is one of the most important architects of the Victorian era, the monument includes a statue of Latimer facing west with his arms crossed over his chest, a statue of Ridley facing east, and a statue of Cranmer holding a Bible as he faces north. And the memorial has the following inscription. And this is long. <laughs> Quote, to the glory of God and in grateful commemoration for his servants, Thomas Cranmer, Nicholas Ridley, Hugh Latimer, prelates of the Church of England, who near this spot yielded their bodies to be burned, bearing witness to the sacred truths which they had affirmed and maintained against the errors of the Church of Rome, and rejoicing this to them, it was given not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. This monument was erected by public subscription in the year of our Lord God, 1841. Wow. That was all one sentence. <laughs> like, <laughs> they did not use any punctuation in that at all. Yeah. That's a very uh, hefty breath. Yes. There to get that all out. And that is the dark and twisted history of Three Blind Mice. Wow. That was so good. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I know. I know. Like you think, because you hear the rhymes and you're like, oh, that's kind of cutesy. And then when you really dive into it, it's like, it's not cutesy at all. No, it's really not. horrible and sad. And it doesn't really have a cautionary tale or moral story. It's just kind of a history lesson, I guess. Yeah. That's that's wild. Because fairy tales tend to always have some sort of moral. Yep. You know, like, don't go in the woods. Don't do whatever. Don't, don't trust adults. Yeah. <laughs> Give don't, you food. Don't kiss random women in the woods. <laughs> I should have been the moral. <laughs> God damn it, fairy tales. Yeah, no, that's oh, that's yeah, Mary's yeah, Mary is a character, you know? Yeah. She's just so brutal. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Ugh. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> that would be like the my just don't put me down for that. If a universe, I do not want to be burned. At the yeah. Stake. That would be horrific. Horrific. Yeah. I can't. I just can't. 100% agree. Do not choose that at all. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm just going to keep it going. <laughs> so I'm doing random. And my random word was ruin. So I'm about to ruin everything we thought we knew about a popular nursery rhyme. I already mentioned what it was. It was Ring Around the Rosie. Yeah. And it, it, okay, this blew my mind because I've always heard all these morbid stories around it. And I've always heard what it was about. But now historians are like, that is not what it is. So I'm about to ruin it for everybody. You're welcome. 
Yay. So I'm going to start with the theories and explanations that we're familiar with, a.k.a. the plague. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to just shit on it because <laughs> usually how I do this. I'm like, you think you know this? And then I'm just going <laughs> to ruin your day. It's Plot fine. twists. Plot twists. <laughs> So in the first episode of 2020, in a ironic plot twist, the topic was the plague and diseases, <laughs> which just thinking about how optimistic we were for a new year and just oblivious as to what was coming in three months, uh, just of all things to be our topic kicking off the year, I just can't. But in here, a little refresher since it's been a long ass year that feels like 10 instead of yep. one. So I was mm-hmm. like, God, that's been forever. No, it, it, it has not. But the plague has also been called the Black Death or the Black Plague. It just swept through Europe from about 14th to 17th centuries. It's estimated that anywhere between 75 to 200 million people were killed from the Black Death throughout Eurasia and Europe between 1347, 1351-ish, to put a little bit more dates there. And this means about 30 to 60% of the entire population was wiped out in just a couple of years. So all these dumbasses that are like, oh, the plague, they just let it run its course and it's fine. No! 60% of the world died! Yeah, We we cannot let it just run its course. So when people say shit like that, I'm like, no, 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 history history so many people died and it took so long for the world to Mm -hmm. recuperate from that and it's not it's not great it's it's not mm -mm. so there's three types of plagues but the black death was the bubonic plague with symptoms that are not delightful like black boils in the groin (laughs) neck and armpits and then they would like ooze pus and bleed once they opened up so not not good Mm-mm. not at all victims of the plague were also said to have other symptoms before the boils would appear like you kind of start out with fevers and chills they'd have seizures sometimes muscle pain headaches and then they would develop these red rashes or rings on their bodies just uh yeah not a good time which i mean they also had things like the sweating sickness and stuff, too, that swept through. But this was really mm-hmm. different. Those boils just whew, gross. And, you know, a lot of people give rats a bad rap, but it was really fleas that yep. spread this. It wasn't rats. Leave the rats alone. <laughs> yep. Although maybe if everybody's seen Suicide Squad, you'll love rats now because rat catcher, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fashion. <laughs> I know. I, I Yeah. No spoilers. It's just a character, but. I love rats. I used to work at PetSmart in college. It's like the weirdest thing. But I love rats. They're so sweet and cuddly and smart. They are very sweet. I always thought growing up that I would not like rats. And Mm -hmm. then I was introduced to someone's pet rat in college. And I was like, where have you been all my life? Like, you're so sweet. sweet. And they're so smart. You can teach them tricks. They're just adorable. So they get a bad rap. They did not. Mm -hmm. They did not do this. The mosquitoes gave them the plague. They were victims too. It wasn't their fault. Mm-hmm. That was a weird rampage. It did not intend to go on. <laughs> so let's get to the nursery room, shall we? Yes. And there's a lot of variations to this, and we're going to get to it. So I'm just going to go with the one that I think we all know. So ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, and we all fall down. I think we all know that. And then, you know, mm-hmm. traumatic kids just ah, ah, hit, hit the floor. 
usually just as dramatic as possible. So we'll just go line by line. So ring around the rosies. I think a lot of times people think it refers to the red rings that started to develop in the plague's victim's skin and the red rashes because they were kind of circular and then they would get larger. And then that's when the boils will start popping up. And the pocket full of posy stems from the lack of knowledge, shall we say, about how diseases actually spread. So some people believe the disease spread through bad smells. We've come a long way. We Somewhat. Have. <laughs> we have. So a lot of people would hold bunches of flowers to their face when they're going out in public, set up a mask, whatever, and they would protect themselves from bad smells. And then you got the plague doctors, which it's funny because a lot of these sources are like, if you've ever seen a plague doctor mask, and I'm like, oh, yeah, now that we live in this time, everybody's got plague doctor mask, you know, emblems or people were actually wearing them. Mm-hmm. To be funny, <laughs> I saw so many TikToks people ordering on Amazon, but every time you breathe, it would like suction to your face. <laughs> <where> it was <laughs> just wasn't working out the way they thought it would. <laughs> and I saw, I went after we got vaccinated, I went to a Renaissance fair and like everybody was wearing them. It's super hot right now, just so you guys know. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's so fetch right now. So fetch right now. Anyway, it has a big, long, nose beak thing that you can shove shove flowers yeah. in there it looks like this. <gasps> yes oh, where <laughs> did you get yours i've been wanting to get one uh squishable oh okay that makes sense that is yep. so adorable yep so glad you just had them handy <laughs> <laughs> for those of you not watching she just <laughs> reached over plug doctor <laughs> you mean like this <laughs> Perfect. She had no idea what I was covering either. Completely just. He just sits there and watches me podcast. That's what he does. Oh, I have, I have an Edgar Allan Poe around there. Oh, I have a kangaroo. Not as, not as topical, but it's also cute. I I too have stuffed animals. I also have a llama, which doesn't have anything to do with. Oh, I have a llama too. Oh, oh, oh! He's my my pin holder. Oh, cute. (laughs) I love him. Anyway. <laughs> so ashes, ashes is said to have two possible meanings. Some think that maybe it's the sneezing sound, which that seems like a little stretch. I've never sneezed when ashes. Mine's more like a <laughs> mine but mine's very violent, so I don't know. Like just, yeah. Uh, my dad used to sneeze and go, ah shit. <laughs> and he was a doctor. I uh, just I just can't. <laughs> My husband's one of those like scream sneezers. <laughs> My husband is too. <laughs> oh god, it's fun in public, uh, especially now. I'm just like, oh, oh man. Everybody thinks everybody thinks you have the plague and runs away. <laughs> That's another thing I got to stop saying. I used to say avoid things like the plague all the time, and now I'm like nobody would avoid it. I got to stop saying that because it has no more meaning. I know it means nothing now. <laughs> Does not. So the other is that it could actually be about be about burning of all the dead bodies from the victims of the plague, which they didn't. I mean, they did kind of, but it was mostly just throwing as many as you could in a mass grave and covering yeah. them up really fast. Yeah, I don't think the burning was a huge thing because I think uh, if I remember right from when we covered Povelia, mm-hmm. 
Plague Island, I think they did when they would put them in the mass pits, they would also like put some sort of burning agent over them to try oh, and like okay. condense the piles, which sounds horrible yeah. when I just said that. But but yeah, yeah. to try and preserve space. Conserve if space, anything so. is haunted, it's that island. Oh, first a hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. Would not go there. <laughs> nope. Zach Baggins would, but not me. Of course they would. I think I tried to watch that episode, but he was just so much. I just couldn't do it. We're going to Pavalia <laughs> in Italy. The most haunted place in Italy. Dramatic boat ride. <laughs> hey, Aaron, I'm going to throw you into this pit. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, I mean, every episode is essentially <laughs> the same thing. It's just, <laughs> hey, Aaron, go in there. <laughs> see you in the morning. <laughs> I mean, whatever works. Stuart's like a millionaire. I mean, it's, I know it's working I mean, for him. But he found the formula. He so. did. He did. I have respect, but also I have a quota of how much I can take from him. <laughs> Just need small doses. I can only handle so much. Yeah, my husband and I, like before Rona, like right before it happened, we were gonna get a bed and breakfast, and it was supposedly haunted. And I was like, oh, it'd be cool to do ghost tours and stuff, and. I was like, man, if we could get Zach Bangs here. And he's like, that man is not coming to our house. And I'm like, I know what you're saying. And I hear you. But Travel Channel. <laughs> like, we want people to come here and stay in a bed and breakfast. That Travel Channel money. <laughs> like, we need. I was like, we can suck it up for one day. And he's like, no, no, we can't. <laughs> we cannot. <laughs> it's like, all right, you're right. That'd be a lot. Oh, all right. So the last one is we all fall down. Which, of course, could be about how many people were literally dropping dead of the plague mm -hmm. and falling down is like representative of death you know if you think of any play if people die they just dramatically fall to the ground yep. and it's, it could just be like a symbolic gesture of just how many people died in the world at that time so those are a lot of the i think interpretations most of us have heard yeah it's really dark it's a lot of death and it's kind of gross yeah. <laughs> it's like rashes and boils and dead people so, so many dead people so many dead people and then there's also some people that are like no this has pagan roots which is so fun because i think i've realized a lot of times you know how there's that aliens guy last yeah. episode we're like pagans because everybody's just like pagans did it yeah there's nothing to ever back it up or they never elaborate they're just like eh, pagans so Sure, pagans had all the cool stuff. Yeah, so, sure, they could have a cool nursery rhyme too. I'm not gonna hate that. Yep. So here's where I shit on things. Folklorists and historical linguists and historians are starting to take issue with this interpretation because the rhyme did not appear in print until the late 1800s. So that's hundreds of years after the plague. And the earliest print appearance of Ring Around the Rosy actually was in the 1880. 1881 Mother Goose book or the old nursery rhyme book by Kate Greenaway. If you think about it, if every kid is reciting this and everybody's hearing this, even adults know it, and it's been five centuries of everybody singing this nursery rhyme, why did not one person write it down? Yeah. So I think that's why everybody's like, mm, let's think about this because somebody surely would have been like this is really popular everybody's saying it 
maybe I should jot that down. Because <laughs> I'd be like, even the scholars and the people that could write. Because, I mean, you're a lot of people are not going to be literate, too. So, yep. flip side. But surely, if ever, it's so popular, everybody's saying it. Somebody that was literate might be like, did you hear this thing? It's pretty dark. <laughs> Well, that's that down. what the Grimm's brothers did is a lot yeah. of the stories that they put, they cobbled together were oral stories that mm-hmm. had been shared around all the different smaller villages in their area. And some were like from as far away as Scotland and Slovakia and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just essentially them capturing all these oral stories before industrialization kind of hit so they wouldn't disappear. It's true. And then the other side of that, because I'm like, I'm like you, oral stories can go around five centuries without people writing them down. So that mm-hmm. one, I'm not convinced. But then they, if it was really as old as the plague, then that means there was versions of this that would have been old English, because this would make it older than Canterbury Tales, like Chaucer. So there would be different forms that would probably be more Middle English than Modern English, if okay. that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. So I never thought of that because I don't remember when Middle English and Modern English changed. No, nope. like, oh yeah, it might have been different. <laughs> and there's also no reference of tying roses to symptoms of the plague in that time at all historically. So some people use that as an excuse too. Gotcha. So a lot of people are just like ring around the rosy is simply just a nursery rhyme that doesn't really have an origin or specific meaning, and that. It was just long after the fact somebody concocted this explanation for its creation. It made it for a good story. Mm-hmm. I will uh, admit to that. And then the last little bit of evidence is that there's different forms. So I have a few of them here. Sure. And none of the other forms mention anything that is plague related. So I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So, for example, the William Wells Newell. That's a lot of wells in his name mm-hmm. in 1883 wrote down ring a ring a rosy a bottle full of posy all the girls in our town ring for little josie round the ring of roses pots full of posies the one stoops the last shall tell whom she loves the best i feel like i've heard that one now that yeah. you say that doesn't that have something to do with like the maple is that something with the maple i think so i didn't look that up (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it doesn't have any of the plague thing i mean it talks about the posies and the roses and stuff but it's not in the same context as the first one so it's kind of yeah it sounds more like you're you're tossing flowers out yeah it does sound very maple-ish yeah. and so the 1883 version by charlotte sophia byrne or Bernie, I'm not sure. Uh, hers is ring a ring, oh roses, a pocket full of poses, one for Jack and one for Jim and one for little Moses. Atisha, Atisha, Atisha. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know if I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. And then the last one, I think that's the last one. So this one's Alice Gome, and it was published in the Dictionary of British Folklore in 1898. So ring a ring of roses, a pocket full of posies, upstairs and downstairs in my lady's chamber, husher, husher, cuckoo. <laughs> I don't know. 
know if you're supposed to say it that way, but I imagine you do. <laughs> and all of these were collected within, you know, a few years of each other. So yeah. it doesn't seem like a big stretch that they would all be wildly different. And then why would like four just be normal flower stuff? And then it's like, boom, plague. <laughs> just, I don't know. That's Maybe. true. <laughs> and and <laughs> yeah, so Snopes had a really good article. So this is from Snopes. It says, it isn't difficult to imagine that such a process has been applied to a ring around a rosy, as well, especially... Because we humans have such a fondness for trying to make sense of the nonsensical, seeking mm-hmm. to find order and randomness, and especially for discovering and sharing secrets. The older the secret, the better, because age demonstrates the secret has eluded so many before us. And so we've read hidden meanings in all sorts of innocuous nursery rhymes. The dish who ran away that's a spoon and hey diddle diddle is really Queen Elizabeth the <laughs> first, or Humpty Dumpty and the old woman who lived in the shoe. Describe the spread and fragmentation of the British Empire. <laughs> so I just think it's funny. He's just shitting on everything. Be like, I think we're looking really deep and we don't need to be. But it's just a general consensus that a lot of nursery rhymes do have meanings and they do, you know, base themselves on historical figures, but not all of them. I think we're yeah. just guessing because some of them do. Maybe we're like, all of them should. Yeah, they and must so- all mean something. Yeah. Pagans. <laughs> so what does it really mean folklorist philip hiscock suggests the more likely explanation is to be found in the religious ban on dancing among protestants in the 19th century in britain as well as here in the north americas adolescents found a way around dancing around the dancing ban by what is called the play party Play parties consisted of ring games, which differ from square dances only in their name and lack of musical accompaniment. So they were hugely popular and the younger children got into the act too. Some modern, why can't I talk now? Some (laughs) modern nursery games, particularly those that involve rings of children derived from these party play games, like little Sally Saucer. I don't think I know that one. Or Sally Waters is one of them. And Ring Around Rosie seems to be another. The rings referred to in the rhymes are literally just the rings formed by playing children. Ashes, ashes probably comes from something like the husha husha, just a variant of the ones Mm -hmm. from the Netherlands. And the falling down just refers to stopping the ring and falling silent. And the falling down, and I just said that, Jesus, Gina, once we get to the end, it's just like, my brain's like, we're done, stop. (laughs) Oh, yeah, so, like, a tisket, a tasket, or hey, diddle, diddle, or even I am the walrus, the rhyme we call ring around the rosy has no particular meaning, this is also from Snopes, regardless of the latter-day efforts to create one for it. They're all simply collections of words and sounds that someone thought sounded really good together. And I did find this quote from John Lennon, (laughs) who once explained, quote, we've learned over the years that if we wanted, we could write anything that just felt good or sounded good. And it didn't necessarily have to have any particular meaning to us. As odd as it seems to us, reviewers would take it upon themselves to interject their own meanings on their like on our lyrics. Sometimes we sit and read other people's interpretations for our lyrics and think, hey, that's pretty good. If we liked it, we would just keep our mouth shut and just accept the credit as if it's what we meant all along. 
That sounds like something he would say. Yes, John <laughs> gets it. So I just saw that. I was like, that is the perfect explanation. It's just like somebody saw that and they're like, that's what that had to mean. I'm a genius. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sure. That's what it is. Yeah. You nailed it. So, yeah. So, I mean, we can believe what we want to believe. We can interpret. I mean, that's the beauty of nursery rhymes. We can interpret. Yep. In any way we want. So if we want to keep the morbid version, we can. Just, you know, logistically, it came around way after the plague. So probably wasn't recited during the plague. Just I can't picture small children like singing this song as they're walking amongst the bodies in the streets. That's true. And there were times where kids would play games like funerals or church where they're overseeing funerals and it was because mm-hmm. they were seeing death all the time so mm-hmm. i mean they were doing stuff to try to because your brain is going to try to make you cope yeah that would just be a weird way of coping to them you know they probably didn't even realize what they were doing but they were just seeing death all the time yep so, i mean it's possible it just it just seems a little unlikely that nobody wrote it down because yeah. even the fairy tales were written down. They just hadn't been collected and compiled yet by the time, you know, Grimm and uh, all the other ones, Perot and all the other ones I can't think of. But, I mean, I imagine somebody would have jotted something down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> Yay, history. <laughs> it's all speculation. <laughs> all theories and mm-hmm. i saw somebody explain historians it was really beautiful or like the kind that i am public historian it was saying that we are part storyteller because you want to tell a story and connect mm-hmm. to history you're part scientist because you're creating theories based on your evidence and then you're part lawyer because you're trying to argue that your theory is the correct <laughs> one. i was like that makes sense that's all this is it's just Telling a story, picking a theory you think is right and trying to yep. argue that you have a point. And then there's just other people being like, nah, dog, you're wrong. But I like what you're saying. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> but it's fun to see both sides. I, I see both arguments and I think they're both good. And it's just kind of cool to have different perspectives now, you know? Yeah. I, I like being proved wrong. <laughs> as weird as that sounds i love it when i thought something is history and then i'm like oh okay that wasn't all the story i was wrong yeah no it's that's interesting yeah to like hear that so many of them were like came out one right after the other yeah and it's interesting that they were from like slightly different areas too so you, mm-hmm. so you, depending on what region of the world you are the same nursery rhyme could take on different meetings depending on whatever the local customs are or things like that. Cause the one about that you did with Moses at the end with the Asha, Asha, Asha at the end, that sounded very um, Jewish to me. So I was like, Oh, that one's kind of, you know, just a little bit different, but yeah. So it it, it was very interesting. That would make sense. I episode one figured out that lullaby one of the early entomology—that's bugs. <laughs> entomology <laughs> of it, like folklorist-wise, is Lilith. Like, go away, Lilith. Like the the succubus, yeah, in Jewish lore. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. So there was a lot of like Jewish 
nurse Hiram connections that I had never really thought about before. So, I mean, that's possible. That could definitely be, mm-hmm. you know, it does sound very, uh, what, what is it? Yiddish? Yeah. Yiddish. Yeah. Or like, yeah, that sounds very Yiddish. That's yeah, it does. That's something a, a nice bubby would say to her kid. And, well, thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for uh, having me. This was so much fun. Even though it was really dark. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. So much death. I know. You Those know. Poor guys. Isn't it fun that we try to do, like, comedy? But, like, <laughs> like comedy podcasts. And then we're just like, and everybody dies. Yeah. Sorry about it. <laughs> it was all bad. Everyone died in horrible ways. Yeah. But, you know, jokes. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that fine line of being like, we're just joking because it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, this is how we cope. Yeah, gotta <laughs> laugh or you just be crying all the time. Exactly. That's it my motto. Little, it gets to be a little too heavy otherwise. That's true. I will uh, tell everybody how they can find your podcast. Sure. Thank you again for having me on. That You're was welcome. It was really fun. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We do have a YouTube channel and you can find us on pretty much all of the podcast platforms. Yay. Well, I'll have you back anytime you want. I'm happy to come back anytime you need somebody. I want to thank Lindsay from Me Old Crime Podcast again for joining me for this episode. I had such a great time. And it's always a delight to talk about such horrific things with somebody that can help me laugh uncomfortably through it. Thank you again to all my lovely listeners for bearing with me as I navigate having a job and still trying to podcast. If you didn't listen to the last announcement, the podcast is going to be bi-weekly. Words, Keena. Bi-weekly until I figure some stuff out. I hope it's not permanent, but because I'm working so much and I have such a large commute right now, that's what I'm going to do. And hopefully when I move closer and I'm not driving four hours a day, we can get back to the old schedule. So I'm very excited about what's to come and the guests that I have lined up. And I'm just so happy that you guys all stuck with me. And... Speaking of sticking with me, if you join Patreon, I've been posting a lot of behind the scenes stuff of my job and you can get to see the kind of stuff you can't see if you come visit. So I'm really excited to be sharing that. I've also been doing a commute chat where I just talk to myself while I'm driving and it's chaotic and crazy. And I think some people said they enjoyed it. So jury's still out. But a lot of content going up on Patreon because that's a lot easier for me to put out because I don't have to edit it. So if you are wanting to watch something or listen to something while waiting for the next episode, join Patreon. That is patreon.com slash historical AF pod. We will be having a tea slash cocktail party coming up soon, so stay tuned for that. If you would like to email me a story for a future listeners episode, that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. And please follow me on social media. That is historicalafpod across the board, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. So thank you, everybody, so much for listening. I will talk to you. <laughs> talk to you. I, I will. I'll be talking to you specifically, only you, next week. And I will have special guest Liz from Human Seeking Human Podcast. I can't wait. Okay, bye.